Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. The following is a presentation of the Force Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is Force Center, a show about Star Wars, pop culture, and the ultimate adventure, life itself. I'm Ken Nipps. I'm Joseph Scrimshaw. And I'm Jennifer Landa. And that's the first one I did from memory. I've got the new muscle memory down of intro changes. <laughs> I said something for nine years. Uh, we are here in the uh, 10th broadcast season of Force Center. We're going to be discussing something really fun today, the pulpy side of Ahsoka. And it's going to be a journey on, on just my own own mind. 
uh, you know, pulp and my relationship with it over the years. It's ebbed and flowed, and uh, it's going to be <laughs> a lot of fun today. Before we get to all that, as always, today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash force center. Over 180,000 titles, and we have to assume more now to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. A little bit later, as always, our force center recommends an audiobook we think you should try out on us. Support the show in the process. But, Joseph, Jennifer, we are also going to be talking about life because lots happened. It's the holiday season, or at least the post-holiday season. Yeah, Joseph. And, and Joseph, you survived some near disaster. I did. I, I survived. I, definitely post-holiday. I, I love seeing all the memes of people getting back to work and all of those circle back emails circling back mm. on you immediately on the second, the third, the fourth. Yeah. So we're definitely in that uh, time period. Uh, yeah, I had a, a great a life non-adventure, almost adventure, which also feels like a, a very Star Wars adventure. I love uh, how the force can be described lots of different ways, sometimes uh, like waves, like, you know, mm. the tide comes and it goes, recedes. Uh, water is both a giver of life and a taker of life, all these beautiful metaphorical things. And you can think about life of like sometimes you make a plan and a giant wave just hits your plans and it washes them all away. But then uh, for the end of 2023, that literally happened to my wife and I. Uh, people perhaps saw a video of a place in California called Ventura where a massive wave caused by a storm out at sea just came in and smashed into this hotel and just rushed down the street and flooded all these restaurants. That's the hotel I was supposed to spend New Year's <laughs> at. So, <laughs> it's amazing to have... Outside of being on a reality show, like when do you have a video that just literally shows your plans being ruined <laughs> that you can show your friends of like, hey, th here, there's the moment my plans being ruined. <laughs> um, like and for all of us, you know, 2023, I think it had been a challenging year. We were looking forward to like the peace of the ocean and nature. Mm. And instead we got the power, the raw power of nature. And it was a fun challenge to not just be despondent and go, that's a sign from the universe that we shouldn't try to reset or have joy a wave will crash into any plan you make uh so we both really accepted the challenge of there's things you can control there's things you can't control uh we pivoted we went to a jazz club that we'd never been to in la uh for midnight and that was kind of a fun train wreck too because the show was supposed to start at 11 and end at about midnight with a big happy new year's cheer show started at 11 47 hmm. the band played one song and they're like is it New Year's already? Do we need to do we need to count down? Uh, but it was kind of cool because I'd never really experienced that. Like everybody had just sat down. I was just given my arugula and chicken flatbread and my martini. <laughs> <laughs> the band had played one song and it was like, hey, happy new year. Okay, on with what we were doing. And it was yeah. kind of fun that it was all like a part of one thing instead of like, I'm used to doing a show, you build up to New Year's, everybody cheers oh, yeah. and dances and kisses, and then phew, it collapses. And it was kind of fun to be right in the middle of something with a big group of people. So that was my uh, New Year's and Star Wars adventures. I think you did a wonderful job just with a look of uh, your socials and Sarah's socials. You guys really leaned into the change that was put upon you. And I think uh, yes, big kudos to y'all. Uh, I think I might a lot have of Silly hats and martinis. Oh, we powdered. There was some powder. <laughs> there was some uh, powder. But Ken, you 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 seem like you're recovering from a party, but your party was internal that. for the New Year's. Yeah, I I tapped out. I mean, we had a recording <laughs> session between Christmas and New Year's, which actually 
was happy we did because it, it, it was a little bit of an anchor, uh, you know, to real, real life, to regular life, the work life and, and, and the fun we have here. Uh, but, yeah, no, I shut down. We don't go out. Grace and I, uh, at no point did we discuss this. We just have stopped going out on New Year's. It's not – it's just mm-hmm. for various reasons. Uh, I, sometimes I miss it, but sometimes I don't. So, yeah, I, I've, been, I've been in a um, school – uh, mode. You know, you get that school break and you're like, I'm not mm-hmm. doing nothing. And that's kind of been it. <laughs> I, I have played over 30 games, I think, of Madden football, um, which they go fast enough. So it's not like I've been glued to my chair, but like I've just given up. <laughs> I'm like seven <laughs> days of like, nah, we ain't doing anything. So uh, today is the day. That's why I'm a little blurry. I did. It's, it's like, yeah, I got to get back to life. I get, but it was nice to disconnect. <laughs> and we watched, you know, we had watched Last Jedi uh, around Thanksgiving, and so Grace wanted to watch Rise of Skywalker, and mm. I, you know what? It, especially today, talking about pulp, it's a perfect movie for that conversation. I, I still hit those points where I get emotional. I still mm-hmm. cry at it's. It's not a Navy search. It's just people. Like I still, you know, there's more of us, Poe. I still get misty eyed. Uh, and I love that movie for those reasons. And it was a good reminder over the holiday season. So, but I'm back, baby. I'm back. Here we are. Talking <laughs> it is. It's it, you, you're reminding me of the energy of Kenobi. Him, him slowly coming back to life in front of us. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh. <laughs> so it's been good. But, but Jen, uh, you know, I know different holidays for you. You weren't alone yes. playing Madden football games. I wish, I wish. No, I feel like my brain is just a giant cheese ball of just yeah. mishmash from the holidays. It's been a lot. Or like that wave in Ventura just crashed over me. That's the holiday. <laughs> and I was trying to think of like what I did. And it was a lot of entertaining, negotiating, creating the magic of Christmas, right? Um, and last- You did that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> the magic episode. I was wondering who made that. Yeah. Realize like I can't talk about that too too much uh, with somebody in earshot. Um, but last night we went to uh, uh, the Citizen Public Market in Culver City. I don't know if you guys have ever been there. It's mm-hmm. a really cool spot. It's like it, like it's like a fancier uh, food court indoor mm. food court in Culver City. Mm. Um, and we stumbled upon this like trivia. Uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I've never really done very many trivia contest things. That's good. And uh, yeah, <laughs> but it was really fun. And I was like, Ooh, what are the questions going to be? One of the first questions was you had to look at the pictures of these characters and name them. And number one was Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> and I was la- laughing so hard. I'm like, this is my kind of trivia. And, and I got almost all of them right. Mm. I missed Christopher Lloyd's character from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Who is it? Mm. Who is that character? Judge Doom? Thank you. Wow. Judge Doom. Good point. Uh, yeah. I knew you. I knew one of you would know it. So I missed that one. And I was embarrassed. I literally was walking around pacing trying to figure out the character's name from Jurassic Park. Richard Richard Attenborough, mm. right? Richard Attenborough. Mm-hmm. Spare no expense. Mm. I was like, Doctor Dr. Grant, no. Uh, Ellie Sattler, no. Doctor Malcolm, right? No. Who? What's what was his name? I know the answer. <laughs> John Hammond. John mm. Hammond. Right. I was like, I would never have known that, but I was so I felt so bad. And then the last one was the character from Up, the the older man. Old oh guy. gosh! His, I called him Gramps. It, yeah, oh, his name's Old Guy. <laughs> his name is Carl. That's I knew his wife's name, Billy, right. but his name is Carl. 
So that's right. We did pretty well, but then we had about because we had kids and they were guests. Was this was this like uh, seeing out the new year by sharing only do you know old to ancient characters? Yeah, eight hundred years and younger. (laughs) Well, there was also on the list was Doctor House, which I knew. Um, But yeah, no, it was like a real variety. Like literature questions, all sorts okay. of crazy. Yeah, yeah. So there were several mm. rounds. We played three rounds Good. and then okay. we had to bow out. But Good. I was, Good bar I was, trivia. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, bar trivia. That's it. It was a lot of fun. I recommend it. The, the mm-hmm. uh, woman who ran it, she was really, really kind. So mm-hmm. oh, that's great. That's the excitement. Great. <laughs> I do enjoy some good bar trivia. It's been a bit, yeah. but I yeah. enjoy that. I enjoy that. It's a great fun. dinner party of fictional characters there. Yeah. <laughs> right? Together that you're listening. Ugh. I'll check it out. I was just thinking while you were talking, Jed, this is how weird LA or Southern California is. I've been here since 1998. I've been to Culver City, I'm not kidding, five times. Like, I, <laughs> oh, yeah. Just, yeah, you're far from it. Yeah, the, yeah. I passed through it once. I was at a studio once. I think I had a burger once there. It's definitely a tacos in Culver City once. It's fa- it's really built up now. Yeah. It's it's a bit much, but I really like it. It's very walkable, which and, is unusual in Los Angeles. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. And good bar mm-hmm. trivia. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. Simple, direct, and wave crashing life and Star Wars adventures <laughs> all mixed into one. That uh, is right. A, a wave crashing into a city uh, is is high adventure, danger. Uh, and it's its own kind of pulp, Joseph. So uh, that's my radio DJ man transition into the topic today of the pulpy side <laughs> of Ahsoka. Oh, that is a perfect uh, transition, a transition crashing us into this excitement. Uh, we are very excited to talk about the pulpy side of Ahsoka. Uh, we use the word pulpy a lot on Force Center uh, to the point where uh, some fans have uh, put together a good-natured bingo sheet of four center phrases and pulpy uh was on it and so as we dive into this discussion i wanted to sort of reset by talking about what what do we mean by pulpy and uh, there might be people who are like yeah what the hell do you mean by that And there might be people listening or watching who are like i i wrote my thesis on pulp i don't need this but i wanted to review uh for our own conversation so uh i think Star Wars has many inspirations, as we all know, uh, but one of the big ones to me has always had this uh, element of pulp storytelling. Uh, and by pulp, uh, I mean big, wild, sometimes weird elements, really uh, not necessarily in Star Wars, but in original pulp, designed to shock and titillate audiences by showing them something far outside the norm of real life and things that usually play on deep, old fantasies or fears of the human mind. You look at those old pulp covers and they go to the extreme to like, wouldn't you want to be in this situation, being a, a hero in an exotic place to, oh, uh, this is the, the scariest thing that could ever happen to you. Um, and often I think the the fears and the fantasies that they're, they're tapping into are ones that maybe aren't okay to express in polite society. And this uh, pulp term comes from pulp magazines, which were these cheaply made newsstand periodicals that were, you know, written prose novellas with shocking covers and shocking illustrations inside. And the goal was to grab readers' attention with romance, crime, horror, larger-than-life grand adventure. And then eventually the actual format of pulp magazines gave way to that same spirit in 50s paperbacks and a lot of early comic books as well as a lot of the matinee serial adventures that are full of, you know, action and shocking cliffhangers like Flash Gordon that directly inspired Star Wars. And I think what's kind of 
important to looking at how it evolves into modern storytelling in general and in Star Wars is that pulp was the home of unabashed genre. There were, you know, literary versions of science fiction like H.G. Wells and Jules Verne and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, but pulps were the home of the lurid and the fantastic and maybe what some people consider lowbrow or less than the the tentacled sea creatures worshiping half-naked cultists you know in bold colors and dark shadows and i think that the sci-fi the superhero the time travel the multiverse stories that arguably dominate modern pop culture all have their roots in pulp in this subversive exploits uh, that are meant to be shocking and attention grabbing and Star Wars has always had these elements to different degrees. But to me, it's interesting to see in our modern storytelling landscape, which Star Wars stories dial the pulp elements down and which crank them up. And I think this is what got me really excited to discuss this in Ahsoka, because I think Ahsoka turns the pulp elements to 11 on purpose. Uh, we're going to discuss some of those specific pulp elements in Ahsoka, but I wanted to start with the big picture uh, Ken, I know you've gone on a, a back and forth journey with pulp elements over the years. So do you like the pulpier side of Star Wars at this point? And if so, why do you have a preference on the pulp scale from the less pulp to Andor to the as much pulp as we can fit in Ahsoka? Yeah, get less pulp indeed on Andor. Huh? Uh, I love it at, at now currently. And I think it's a great uh, idea to kind of you know, reset uh, the, the the term pulp because pulp and pulpy is definitely one of those description buckets we can toss <laughs> Star Wars in and serial adventures sometimes over here, but really they're all from the same thing. I'm, I'm looking across my studio at some some Raiders of the Lost Ark toys and I'm like, that, that might be the pulpiest of the pulp. And I love mm-hmm. that. And I would argue that some people think Raiders is the most realistic of the indie movies, right? <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. sure, because the way it was shot, I don't know. Um, so I, I love where we're at with it. I think my relationship with Pulp has, has gone up and down over the years, um, not based on the actual definition of Pulp, just based on the reactions to different pulpy things and what mm-hmm. I think I'm supposed to like and what I do like. Uh, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Nolan Batman guy. And I was one of those podcasters in 2011 saying this is the dark and gritty thing we need versus that silly Marvel thing. And I don't know if I agree with that anymore, but I still am drawn to that. I don't want Adam West pow zambui zooing around. That's just something I didn't like as a kid. So that was the pop culture dividing line. Where, you know, you either like this or you like that, which is silly. And, and Star Wars has, has all these things uh, uh, meshed into one uh, beautiful adventure. And the pulpy side has just uh, grabbed me more and more over the years. That's great. That's great. Um, Jennifer, how about you? How do you feel about the pulp side of Star Wars? I like it. I, I To me, that's where I feel more comfortable with. Although I do love the Andor's realism. I, mm-hmm. lo- I Just because mm-hmm. it gives us variety. I think that that's important. If it was all really pulpy, mm-hmm. it, then we would tire of it, right? So having variety is what keeps it fresh. It w- what brings in different types of audiences. And sometimes I can say, well, it's not so much for me. Although I love Andor. Um, and I almost felt like Ahsoka could have been pulpier. I don't know. I'm excited to learn more because it's not really a genre that I'm as familiar with. Obviously, I know Flash Gordon and that's very those influences are very prevalent in the original trilogy. But like the actual literature side of it, I'm not as familiar with. So 
we'll have to learn more. Yeah. I will have to learn more. I look forward <laughs> to this discussion. You know, uh, since we're doing video now, it'd be fun sometime to do like sort of uh, almost like flashcards of various images. And like, mm-hmm. do we have a knee-jerk reaction that that's pulp? Because that's how it, it, it doesn't exist in our culture, in our parlance right now is just like it, it, as a discussion of the literal pulps of, do, did you like the shadow or did you like th- this pulp? Mm-hmm. It's more the, you know, how it lives on in terms of modern interpretations of it. Because uh, th- yeah. this is fascinating already to see kind of how we're trying to separate out what is and isn't pulp. Mm-hmm. And to me, um, I don't think pulp necessarily means silly. I think that's a part of it. I think you can have a very uh, pulp image, a very pulp out there, outlandish, uh, shocking, weird storyline and have deep emotional truth in it. And, and we're going to you know discuss that more. And I think that's where the pulp really works for me when it's got its hooks in something deep. And then it's just bonkers on the surface. So it isn't just sort of like thrown in on the top as aesthetic fun, but is baked into what's going on. And I think um, that's for me why I love, we're saying the pulpier side of Star Wars, but I kind of feel like it's, you know, when it's good, it's something, it's not a side, it's it's mm-hmm. it's the main ingredient, it's what seeps mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think one of the reasons I'm really drawn to pulp in general, but pulp in Star Wars is, you know, we always talk about Star Wars being a balance of many things, the new and the old, and, you know, uh, a really fun, violent story that preaches pacifism. It's got all these contrasts and balances. And Pulp is fascinating to me because in its history, it's unabashedly commercial. It's trying mm-hmm. to be as weird. And and I think the sort of the sexy and exploitative side isn't in Star Wars as much. Mm-hmm. But it was trying to be weird, scary, exciting, sexy to grab eyeballs and make you buy those magazines and paperbacks and comic books but in its attempt to just grab your eye any way possible and make you buy it, mm-hmm. it is hooking into deep, deep ideas. And I think that's the fully realized pulp that's in Ahsoka. That's mm-hmm. like, yeah, the Night Sisters, the Great Mothers make you turn your head and go, weird witches. They look scary. They look, they sound cool. But they're hooking into something deeper of witches and the idea of them are very, very old. Why are we drawn to them? Why do they make us lean forward? What do they mean? Uh, why do we fantasize about being stranded on, on a faraway world, uh, you know, attacked by giant monsters and bandits with only our laser sword to save us? Like, why are we attracted to those ideas? Um, I think that's the part of pulp that I really like when it is super weird on the surp- surface and deeply meaningful and intriguing underneath. And to me, I like it when Star Wars is more pulpy because I think it's what sets Star Wars apart. I, I love Andor, and I have no criticism of the dark and the gritty. I have no criticism of focusing on the political. But to me, the world building of Star Wars is that it exists in this sort of bonkers world where every time you turn around, there's another weird creature trying to eat you or another thing you can't explain or can't understand. Um, and that's why I like, I think we all love Dewey and Freedy and Andor. And just like those that peppering of pulp uh, is important to me because it makes it's what makes Star Wars feel different to me than Star Trek or Game of Thrones or, or that. And, and I think Andor just kind of on the, on the, the surface level is a little less pulpy, not uh, which isn't a criticism of it being darker, gritty or more emotionally realistic. 
Yeah, there's something you said in there I want to go back to that's uh, even something that I, I feel over over history over time that I, I maybe accidentally have been a part of. And, and this is why it's important to dive into the actual definition of, of, of pulp, even though that can, can seem you know scholarly, scholarly and classroom-like. But I think it's important because I even associate pulp with silly, right? That's the first thing mm-hmm. you go to. Oh, pulp. Oh, you mean like, I don't know, talking donkeys with a sword or something like and, and, <laughs> and, and it's it's like that old those old commercials we grew up with with instant coffee of of of, you know, you're drinking Folgers. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Or it's like my friends are like, I don't like vegan food. I'm like, guess what you're eating right now? Uh, <laughs> that, that's that's we all can just these walls go up. And, and that's why I mentioned the Dark Knight as, as a dividing line where yeah. that was the discussion point. Uh, Marvel, because this, if you don't like, and obviously Marvel successful years, and, and 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 that can get lost and watered down in the conversation. So you might be saying, not us, but others might be saying, oh, I don't, I don't like pulp, and that's literally what you're watching and enjoying. And and yeah, I think you're right. You're both right with the dividing line. I just had to rewatch some Andor stuff. This this, I was looking for one quote. I ended up watching two full episodes of Andor <laughs> um, because the dialogue, the acting, and and the approach pulls pulls me in. Um, but that's going back to like the Raiders discussion. Raiders has some realistic dialogue, realistic acting. It's not over the top and not, not, the, uh, not that the other movies are. And I think you would think that isn't pulpy uh, talking about Raiders. And it is. It's all part of that thing. So I think it's important to redefine it and, and actually understand what you're either fighting against or, or enjoying. Yeah, I think emotional realism can be there in a story that is told with bizarre, wild elements. Yeah. And emotional realism can be there in a story that is told with less bizarre elements. Yeah. And I think that to me is the dividing line of just quality storytelling. Is it, mm-hmm. is it emotionally realistic? Am I, yeah. am I hooked in uh, real yeah. quick on, on Batman begins the first Nolan movie? Cause I think that's a great way to discuss it is uh, I think that's a great movie, but it's a different take. I, I think Nolan is very, very scientific and he goes out of his way to explain everything, you know, that Batman has in his costume, that those ears are like radio receivers, you know? Right. Right. And, and you know all the little fins on his gloves that were always there just for aesthetics. Though that's where he keeps his his batarangs. Now there's an attempt to sort of make it logical and realistic. Where the myth of Batman is a person became so wounded by their childhood trauma they invented an impossible dark nightmarish version of themselves to provide justice by being the thing that they themselves are terrified of. Okay. Like when you lean into Batman in the pulp side there's a there's a real argument to be like it makes no sense the man dresses up as a bat it's pulpy it's speaking to something deep and emotional he's a picture of what vengeance feels like yeah but then on the other side of it you can have someone like nolan come along and go i'm uncomfortable with the pulpy let's let's make it a little bit more realistic yeah so i think that's a, a valuable one to talk about and it's not even a criticism of batman begins it's just sort of like a on on the spectrum of of pulp mm-hmm. how much do you get concerned with Mm-hmm. do you need to make something realistic or like in Ahsoka, is it almost like we, th- we are unashamed. There isn't a, we kind of want to do a pulpy thing, but we, we want to hide it. So mm-hmm. people don't get ashamed. It's like mm-hmm. in your face. And I think that's a big difference too. I, I think it comes down to again, part of the watering down of these discussion points over the years with social media and, and, and po- podcasts and everything. And punditry is like, yeah, you, you know, you, do you want to enjoy Batman punching people uh, without sound effects of boom, zow, wowie? You know, like, because that's silly. This is what you yeah. got to like. You got to like this. And that, that that became part of the discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I yeah, almost go, wonder go ahead, if, 
if like if people are mistaking camp with pulp because i kind of think of Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. i love i love the old school batman with adam west because i like camp i like kitsch right and Mm -hmm. and i'm not sure if it's because i'm looking back on it all these years later that i see it as kind of campy Mm -hmm. um but but and i think sometimes people will say that star wars can be campy but it's not it's pulpy and there's a very clear distinction it's almost for me the way i look at pulp is like it's heightened it's not mm-hmm. there's any less truthful you look mm-hmm. at the original trilogy and the performances that harrison ford carrie fisher and mark hamill give sir alec guinness it's heightened mm-hmm. but it's not i mean this is why harrison ford became a movie star because mm-hmm. he showed that he can he can you know still keep it grounded still keep it truthful with these extraordinary circumstances happening around him mm-hmm. so that's mm-hmm. what i i love pulp i guess and I love yeah. camp and I love kitsch. I love anything heightened. And yeah, that, but that's a really great distinction because they, the mm-hmm. Adam West Batman isn't literally winking at the camera, but it is comedy. And it yeah. is meant to be like, is it, I saw it as a kid and took it deadly serious. And then I saw it again <laughs> when I was like, you know, in my teens when the when the uh, Keaton Batman movie came out and realized that Batman was talking very seriously about not getting parking violations. Like, <laughs> I didn't know this was comedy. And, you know, with especially like the original Star Wars, the the effort is entirely the opposite from camp it's Mm -hmm. let's take something that is silly of this guy is flying in space and basically a broken down buick with his dog yeah now let's try to make you utterly believe it and and care about it and yeah that's i think a good pulp camp divider star wars can have campy points but i think it's more pulpy yeah, and and I just think I think things like like humor or light moments or silly creatures or as we'll discuss uh, a community of turtle folk, it gets <laughs> c- gets confused as as camp, even if there's elements of camp. But I think again, mm-hmm. going to my point, I'm just I guess I'm just repeating my point of of been in these we've all been in these discussion wars for years where it's like. What what are you fighting against? Do you do you think by even liking camp you've lost something as, as a cinephile? <laughs> lost some ranking, it lost some stature. Uh, can you not just enjoy humor? And Last Jedi is a ca- I I've mentioned before on Force Center perhaps several times. The weeks leading up to it, there was a quiet little quote of Ryan Johnson going, "The movie's funny." <laughs> Hold on, I know I did Breaking Bad. I, it's it's funny, <laughs> like. <laughs> and people weren't ready for that because they wanted what they felt was serious Star Wars. It's yeah, you've all been yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know another thing I think it, 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 that is about the the dark. Do, do you feel more mature when you like dark and gritty? Yes. Do you feel yes. comfortable to like something that's silly or weird? Um, but even like the change from the original uh, song in Jabba's Palace, which I think is sort of pulpy mm-hmm. is these mm-hmm. it's it's silly but there's these weird alien singing kind of a dark you know weird little song that you kind don't know what the lyrics are and this the woman ula is being exploited and dying in the middle of this kind of dark song and then it goes to camp to like even lucas's quote of like i thought it'd be funny to put a music video in the middle of star wars and now joe yauza is breaking the fourth wall <laughs> that is the difference between pulp yeah. and camp to me yeah yeah in star wars yeah great example uh uh, speaking of examples, uh, before we get into Ahsoka, I just want to touch base with each of you of, of when you think of outside of Ahsoka, previous to Ahsoka, pulp in Star Wars, what kinds of 
is there a specific moment or scene or character or idea that pops to your mind? Jennifer, what do you think of the previous to Ahsoka? <laughs> <laughs> the Last Jedi, a hundred percent for me feels much pulpier. Maybe I have the definition wrong, but pulpier, mm-hmm. uh, like you're saying, it's slightly cam- campier, humorous, um, because I feel like there's a lot of emotional drama. There's a lot of sexual tension. It feels very sensational. The shirtlessness mm. of Kylo Ren, right? <laughs> yeah. And like the Han Leia romance, it feels more like 40s, 50s noir kind of romance. Mm-hmm. While I don't want to say romance, but the Ray Kylo relationship, it feels more like a smutty 60s movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's got this like weird tension going on. There's just so much bizarre, so many bizarre things happening. You and- could totally make an like an old. 50s paperback cover out of like, you know, the shirtless man she wasn't supposed to reach for in her mind, but couldn't stop herself. Yeah. It's very broad shoulders. You know, I mean, yes, absolutely. That's the the novel cover that comes to mind. Um, so yeah, Last Jedi. And that's why I love it so much, is because it dialed it up. And I that's what I'm saying. Ahsoka could have dialed it up even more. And then the fans would have really been mad, like we saw with The Last Jedi. Uh, How about you, Ken? What are some examples of pulp? God, there's so many options to pull from. Uh, But today I'm feeling solo. I I, I just look at that and that includes some of the, uh, you know, uh, Amelia Clark's Kira being a little noir femme fatale, but also Mm -hmm. having the dime store cover vibe to me. And, 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 you know, that you can put that smooch as Irving Kirshner would say uh, in, in Lando's closet on the cover of a, of a, of a dime store novel, I guess, if you want, Mm -hmm. but that just the the adventure, but also like, like, like Lady Proxima was something that I always rubbed up against and and, and Linda Hunt's uh, voice acting is wonderful. But I I remember even coming out of the movie going, you could have just had subtitles with that one, right? You could have done the Jabba thing. We didn't need Jabba the Hutt and Return of Jedi going, what are you doing, Luke? But I think I've changed my opinion on that. Uh, where I go back to that scene, I think there's great humor, there's great tension, there's great adventure, and it's it's out of this world, literally. And 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 it and and now Lady Proxima, <laughs> just everything about her I enjoy. And that might be time changing my opinion, but I, yeah, start to finish, solos, solos, my pulp go to right now. Mm. I love that because I think a part of the pulp discussion is that it's a genre stew. There are pulps of all kinds. Yeah. There are horror, crime, romance, yeah. you know, pirate, uh, all these different genres of I- excitement and danger and sexuality. Um, and I think Solo is such a tour to it, even by the time they're, you know, trying to escape uh, in the Kessel Run and the Summa Ver- Verminoth yeah. uh, monster is a, is a Lovecraftian cosmic horror you know, unknowable beast that how does it even exist in this space? And, you know, all it touches on Westerns, it touches on crime, it touches on, you know, all sorts of genres in the way that the solo Kira romance is played is very, very noir um, and, and very old school. I don't want to rehash all old uh, analysis of films and Star Wars TV shows, but the Kessel runs a great example to me of the expectations like, all right, we're probably going to get the Kessel Run in that movie. That was a foregone conclusion going into the film. And then there's a giant space monster in the middle of it? No. I think there was pushback against it because, well, that wasn't cool. That wasn't badass Han outrunning people or something. And and, and, and I, that's, I think that's why I love that scene so much. It is into the darkness, the monster out in the ocean. It's 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 all that stuff and, and, and a stew indeed. Uh, and again, going mm-hmm. to those moments of camp and pulp and shame, a lot of shame in some of these comments about these films, I think. 
Yeah, and and very close to the surface metaphor of this cocky young man thinking he can right. do the impossible, and there is a lurking unknown that is literally dragging him toward failure and death. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. Pretty pretty clear cut uh, analogy. Um, a couple of scenes have jumped to my mind. We we discussed it a lot. Uh, I love it, but I think it it is a, a, a tonal shift in Rise of Skywalker that challenges people. But Palpatine's layer on Exegol and that whole first mm. scene is extremely the dark side of pulp of like a, a hidden temple, dark magic. Uh, the the actual very very nineteen fifties mad science. Little. bubbling tubes the the lurid technicolor you know actual colors of the the snoke tubes yes. <laughs> you know but all of it is kind of getting towards this fear that that no matter what you do especially from kylo ren's perspective i'm marching around the galaxy trying to be the darkest scariest thing there is and there's always something darker scarier unnatural mm -hmm. more powerful underneath you lurking there it's all very pulp on the surface to the point where i think it turns some viewers off because it, it looks yeah. like those old 1950s movies and what helping skin a mad scientist frankenstein lab and some people don't like that that's fine totally to me it's got all the fun in the boldness of that surface aesthetic with all of that depth of of fear that the sort of the, the idea of the old wizard and the idea of like a grandfather figure that is mm -hmm. always going to be more powerful than you, that you can never escape. Uh, it is, those are deep, so deep fears that, you know, you are born to be killed by the father. You will never surpass the father. Like mm -hmm. mm -hmm. that's so Kylo Ren and it's all there with, yep. Over the top bubbling mad scientist crap on top. Having just rewatched that, I, number one, the sequence does need the eye of Webbish Bog. I'm all about that, too. But, I mean, I just you're, – you're so right. It, it's a dividing line at the very beginning of the movie, and I understand if people rub up against it because things uh, – you know, I rub up, up against a lot of things in Star Wars. But, like, it's – I just love this. And, and, and I've died before. It's become one of my favorite Star Wars lines. <laughs> it's just become – because it is exactly what you're describing. And I've died before. It's just – Ah, the lightning strikes. So good. I've died before. It almost feels like he loses control of his uh, <laughs> facial muscles <laughs> during the word before, which I love. Yeah. Um, I'll throw out there also quickly because I think especially um, especially for people our age, uh, I'm sure maybe other people have experienced the original trilogy this way. I think we just kind of took a lot of things without questioning them or their heritage because we were kids. But looking at like yes. Jabba's Palace and what a genre stew that is, that it's it's a gangster movie. It's uh, suddenly becomes a pirate movie where our hero, this medieval knight samurai combo who needs his sword to save the day, is has to walk the plank. Uh, and then there's just the like bizarre, weird boldness of uh, there's a mouth in the middle of the desert that you get thrown into. Uh, and, you know, again, I don't think Star Wars pushes on this as much. And I think it's a question of whether they should. But also in Jabba scene, there is that element of exploitation of mm -hmm. of putting women in bikinis and and that is pulp heritage put a pin in that discussion because it's a great discussion to have whether that how you feel about that whether it should be there but in terms of just pulp heritage it's extremely the exploitative mm -hmm. sexual side of pulp mm -hmm. We just we just didn't have this discussion in the back of Starlog magazine in 83 to 84 it just what <laughs> we just took it to Star Wars it just was. All right, let's dive into Ahsoka, the show itself. Um, so, uh, whales and witches and zombies, stormtroopers. <laughs> oh my, says Judy Garland. Uh, how do you think, Ken, the, the pulp elements helped tell 
the story of Ahsoka. We can talk about aesthetics or vibe or history, but what did they actually do to be the story, to tell the story, to get us help us know the characters, the galaxy? I, I think for me, it, it, you know, this is the first Star Wars story that was very much outside the boundaries of the galaxy we know, that far, far away galaxy. We went in even farther. And, and that was just kind of, uh, uh, you know, again, talking, I know maybe just vibes and aesthetics too, but just the storytelling of you're, you're in uncharted territory. We don't know it. Uh, these For a lot of people, this is the first time they were introduced to what we called space whales for years, but are now known as star whales, the pergil. Uh, it was just a way of showing you, you, you are, you are off the path and mm. no one really knows who you are and what are you going to do in these situations and you're and you're learning things about yourself you're learning new things you're discovering old ancient things that might be used again and it was just it was supposed to be an out of that galaxy story and it 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 felt different in that regard versus you know especially we were in a post andor world uh uh, Bad Batch has some wonderful, wonderful pulpy, high sci-fi kind of uh, you know mm-hmm. elements, but it's still got the gritty government and political conversations and all that kind of stuff. This was to me, it was it was is supposed to push some boundaries, uh, literally mm-hmm. and, and and figuratively. And I, I thought that was a good use of it. Yeah, I totally agree, uh, Jennifer. How do you feel uh, the the big pulp elements help tell the story of Ahsoka? I like Ken's answer because I. <laughs> God, nothing. I mean, honestly, the the way that I viewed it was just like, what are they going to pull from Star Wars Rebels? What are they going to pull mm. from the Clone Wars into live action? Mm. <clears throat> because there's a whole other world, so to speak, uh, that we've all experienced, but the a- average viewer may not have. So <clears throat> I was just curious to see how they were going to piece it all together and connect the threads. And I thought that they did a good job. But again, I would have liked more, which I'm going to get into with the Night Sisters. Mm, nice. No, I think that's a really, really good point uh, to bring up the animated because, you know, we were talking about kind of big examples from the films mm-hmm. of Pulp, uh, but Clone Wars really was Lucas doing like, mm. I don't know if this will ever make money. Um, I'm doing what I want. And the Clone Wars swings big between the Genosian brain worms, the Zillabies, yeah. Cad Bane, just walking out of a, a John Wayne movie, but also being an alien, uh, Hondo Anaka just straight up having a fifties flying spinning saucer <laughs> yeah. as his ship. No comment needed. Yeah. Um, and I think Rebels is a little less pulpy than Clone Wars, but it's still there with, you know, uh, the, the Bendu and, mm-hmm. and all sorts of, uh, various, uh, weird pulpy elements, uh, everything going on with Maul and holocrons, all, all pulpy. So I, Jennifer, I think that's a great point that, a part of what's going on with Ahsoka is, I think, a desire to say this wilder side of Star Wars that's a little safer in animation. It's a big part of Star Wars, and we are putting it on live action, big screen, mm-hmm. tentpole Star Wars. Yeah. So there's no doubt. And I think for me, the the uh, part of the power of it and how it helps tell the story is that there's this tension in Ahsoka between uh, rigidity logic, uh, rules, organizations, expectations, and this truth that there is a wild, impossible, endless, not just galaxy, but universe out there. And I think all the pulp elements of the the witches in, in the star whales and the zombie stormtroopers um, support the idea that uh, pulp is truth, that Jedi are real. The Force is real. Witches are real. Other galaxies are real. Those ancient stories are all real. 
So if you sort of look at all that is like, these are real factors that determine the fate of the galaxy with characters who are literally opposing that. Uh, Ziono is the, the guy who's saying, uh, there shouldn't be a Star Wars movie called Attack of the Clones. That's dumb. <laughs> he's basically saying pulp isn't real. He gets that report and he's like, you're, you're, I, I didn't write down the exact quote, but like, do you expect us to believe this? They're Jedi and, you right. know, uh, uh, failed Jedi and whales and another, which is another galaxy. You expect me to believe this BS report? Mm-hmm. He's centered as this sort of non-believer. And Thrawn was centered as, if not a non-believer, somebody who hadn't experienced yet. His world was rigid, uh, angles and political machinations. And now he's in this world where he's sitting back and going, all this pulp is real Mm -hmm. and I'm going to embrace it in order to have power. Um, And I think there's even a power in the, the pulp with Ahsoka herself because she is in a place of rigidity where there are only so many outcomes and she's focusing on the negative everything is very limited in her mind and as she gets more and more exposed to the pulp she opens up to oh yeah anything is possible there's always another way there's always another destiny let me reach out to these you know space whales and literally get a ride in their mouth i mean it's Mm -hmm. it's a pretty direct embracing of the idea of pulp as endless wild possibilities do not limit your imagination anything is possible mm-hmm. is a pretty literal epiphany that i think ahsoka has yeah i think it's part of the valuable lesson of the series of again like i said earlier of like who are you once everything you know is taken away who, who are mm-hmm. you and the value in it the guy i in listening to you talk i'm thinking of of bo katan and 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 the what, episode two or three of of this past season just saying <laughs> it's all not real and, mm-hmm. and and learning that not, there's value in those stories and and then there's things to learn once you discover uh these new areas uh uh yeah i i think that was a valuable valuable part of it but valuable and needed use of pulp yeah we did i love that you brought that up we talked about it a lot that episode that, that seeing that mythosaur and saying yeah. it very much like in ahsoka the old stories could be true even though they sound silly and fantastic mm-hmm. what is lurking in the depths that has greater meaning for us is yeah. Very pulpy. Yeah. All right, let's get into the Night Sisters. I'm so anxious to hear uh, Jennifer's thoughts. Jennifer, what was the the most interesting and meaningful to you about the Night Sisters' presence and, and role in Ahsoka? This, to me, was my biggest challenge because mm-hmm. I love the Night Sisters and I really wanted to see more of them, uh, their space, uh, perhaps as budget reasons, uh, right? But they were kind of confined because um, I would have loved to see something like we saw with with Palpatine in Rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Like that would have been amazing. But a budget, we know, is more limited for the TV shows. To me, it felt like when you're going to Costco and you get a sample of something – and so Filoni's there <laughs> giving us a sample of the Night Sisters for the people who have no idea who these crazy witches are, right? And they're like, oh, this yeah. is this is actually pretty good. And then Dave says, over here in the frozen aisle, you can get those biscuits <laughs> in season two. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping. We're going to get those biscuits in season two because I just feel like it wasn't enough. It gave us a taste of the Night Sisters. But for me, I wanted I wanted more. It felt very Macbeth. I think mm-hmm. we've talked about here, right? Um, yeah. So that that was cool. But I just, I don't know. I felt like, and I don't want to say they were under, underutilized because that's not true. They were used the right amount 
to, to draw people in. Yeah, I mean, we, I think we've talked about this before of, of uh, I feel like uh, the first season of Ahsoka is very complete from the perspective of Ahsoka and Sabine's specific emotional journeys. Right. And, and, and there's some plot resolution in terms of Ezra gets home, Ahsoka and Sabine accept perhaps a different destiny here on Pridia. Um, but a lot of it then plot wise, in my opinion, is table setting, mm-hmm, which leads right. to almost all of our discussions of Ahsoka. At some point, one of the three of us will go, I loved it, but I just felt teased. We we only just kind of got to know Balin and Shin, mm-hmm. and then they were gone. We only kind of mm-hmm. got to find out what happened to Ezra. We only kind of got to see what Thrawn's up to. So much of the show did in a plot way, I think, is it is on purpose. Welcome to Star Wars Costco. <laughs> <laughs> and Ezra's like, yes. you know, do, hey, do you want to try a little yeah. turtle folk sandwich? And the witches are over here going to eat a little string of fate. And but yeah. but you're not getting the whole thing at all. It's 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 we talked about that difference between tip of the iceberg storytelling where something's kind of mentioned offhand, like the Clone Wars in, in the original Star Wars movie, and it intrigues you. Mm-hmm. But then there's the this is the beginning of a thread. And we haven't followed it through yet. And I think that's what's going on with Thrawn, Night Sisters, Ezra. So I really respect that position on you teased me with the Night Sisters. You mm-hmm. you let me eat a sample. And then it's like, great, I'll have five boxes. And they're like, no, they're not available yet. Exactly. Not available yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and again, this is me with my own expectations, as we've talked about, the fan expectations versus what's being presented on screen. And I have to wrestle with that myself because mm-hmm. not everyone knows who these Night Sisters are. And they're probably like, wow, this is awesome. Cool, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to I want more. Or there's yeah. witches in Star Wars. Uh, right, that, yeah, yeah. Right. Ken, how do you feel about the Night Sisters' I, role in Ahsoka? I really agree with you, Jen. Actually, once I, I, I kind of listened to you there, I I I, I love them uh, in the series, and I, I can't wait to talk about hopes uh, for them. Uh, and I think I think you're right. You you kind of said it in there of of like no, they, they were used probably right for this season, and 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 then Joseph, you you, you tag that with your, your excellent analysis on like there's a lot coming. I think I have some worries uh, because I'm having Game of Thrones flashbacks when I was like, oh my gosh, everybody, when the Sand Snakes show up, get ready. And then they showed up, and it was okay that they didn't use them properly so don't, don't worry about it um i this is where i i really would love to you know she'll i don't think she'll ever come back to star wars but this is where we're like could could we have katie lucas writing some of the night sisters mm. stuff could katie lucas come because my love of the night sisters went from i was a and i and i know they i know their origins in eu uh, i was one of these there's i don't want witches in star wars this is going back to the clone wars days it's like, I don't, no, no, this is, no, come on. I'm going to go watch Nolan's Batman again because there's, now there's witches in Star Wars. And now there's some of my favorite things because of what they mean, because of Asajj, Asajj Ventress's journey, because of Mother Talison and that feeling of I'm home again, but really you're not. And all the things that they, they mean uh, uh, in, in that series, there's a depth that wasn't here yet. And I have a lot of faith in Dave. I just, this is where I wish the ball could be passed to another writer sometimes. Uh, Cause I agree with the agenda. It, it, it was, it was a great tip of the iceberg. This is coming. They're there for Thrawn. Thrawn's got, uh, not just for Thrawn, but you know, cause there's some Morgan Elizabeth of it all, but it just felt like it was part of the, the, this bigger tapestry. And that for me telling people for years, no, 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 you get the night sisters are really cool. And Th- those those folks in my life who was like they're really cool they kind of went eh, I don't know but after seeing them in Ahsoka so I just wanted more it's a, it's only the 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 drive for more yeah 
I, I totally understand wanting more. And this is maybe a part of Ahsoka where the my previous emotional relationship with the Night Sister story in Clone Wars actually benefited what was in Ahsoka. And I, I really felt emotionally connected to it. There's the mm-hmm. there's the fun and the thrill of of seeing them um and seeing the green magic and all all that and those in the different kinds of magic and all that. But I think I think because Ahsoka did a, a good job, in in my opinion, of setting up from the beginning this sort of ache from all the characters to be reconnected to what was lost, mm-hmm. that that theme translated really well to what I think is incredibly powerful about the Night Sisters, both in the Clone Wars and now with these great mothers that we meet, um, that you know that they are from a society that is proud, unique. And has been decimated. We don't know exactly how they were decimated in Pridia. In the Clone Wars, we know that they were murdered by Sidious because Mother Talzin was a, a threat. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get to see them used and abused in the Clone Wars. So I think I carried some of that emotional weight over to Ahsoka and could see in these great mothers. Um, I think what what can be deep and powerful about the different storytelling we have in different cultures about witches and there's many ways to interpret it but for me i think one of the great tensions of witch mythology is that they are often uh symbols of society individuals beliefs women who have been unfairly uh, maligned hunted murdered exiled so they're sort of uh wounded and righteous and i pity them and i root for them and then at the same time they also want to murder the heroes probably mm-hmm. <laughs> and me. Mm-hmm. So there's great tension of when you see a witch story and, and, you know, I'm speaking from a male perspective and I think women probably have much better insights than I do on it. But for me, a really powerful witch story is sort of like, I relate to them from feeling wounded. The world's unfair, uncruel, cruel to me. But then what, but then it's the sort of the fantasy of like, and then what if I had power to do something about it? Yeah. And I think they, it tapped their story, a, a, a tapped into that for me because it was a story of survival and this question of what are they going to do when they survive? Cause right now I'm kind of rooting for them as long as they don't kill <laughs> Ahsoka and Sabine. Uh, I'm rooting for them. I, kind of find if they kill Thrawn, <laughs> no offense to Thrawn yeah. fans, or at least fight him. I'm rooting for them, but they're also frightening. And there's a fun tension to sit in for me. So yeah. I, I think that was valuable. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I just, I would love to have one conversation with them without Thrawn around. They had it with Elspeth, I know. But like, like I want them to kill Thrawn. <laughs> right? But can they be yeah, the I mean, he's, he's standing around there, uh, yeah. watching, going, Interesting ancient rites. Thanks for letting me watch. Um, I also just want to touch briefly on the, the, the threat of fate stuff. Um, You know, as, uh, as many people have, uh, have looked at, figured out, talked about our our friend, Alex Damon over at Star Wars Explained has some great videos about uh, these great mothers being named after uh, Greek uh, uh, figures who, Mm -hmm. who spun uh, and cut fate and, that's a little new for, uh, you know, Mother Talzin really kind of had her her boiling pot and her potions. Yeah. And these are all much more tied to this sort of this idea of this threat of fate. And a lot of their magic is these literal lines of fate. Um, and I, I appreciated that because I think that's, a, you know, going back to Macbeth, as you were saying, Jennifer, one of the other powerful fundamental things about which uh, myths, the idea that it is possible to know destiny 
and only these people know it. And if they know it and control it and see it, does that mean by definition that we don't have agency, that they can spin our fate? And I think that element of it was was powerful. Um, it, it, we could do a whole episode about all the ways they're talking about fate and whether Sabine's actions and Ahsoka's actions are predictable or not. But I think introducing that idea of uh, is fate set and locked, determined, and or do characters have agency? There's a fear there with the witches that they're going to be able to say, nope, there's nothing you can do. We know fate. Yeah, I already doubt their powers when they were like, yeah, we, we heard things. We heard things from... <laughs> It it is fun to think that that <laughs> there is absolutely a limit to their power and they're yeah. BSing Thrawn like yeah. Ooh, loose thread. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, but I right. mean that kind of like it, it, on their side, like they're just kind of like you know it's it's the 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 the, uh, the fortune teller and Pee Wee's Big Adventure, you know, right. hand, hand me your wallet, right? <laughs> or the people on YouTube, you know, reading the the uh, uh, charts, tarot cards, or whatever. It's very very general sometimes. <laughs> I'm like. Mm. Mm-hmm. Using, to anyone. Yeah. Yeah, they're using that to just eventually destroy Thrawn. Like, let's just keep, yeah. keep telling them things. But they're real accurate about Ahsoka's location in the whalebone graveyard. Yeah. Uh, speaking of pulp, uh, let's talk a little bit about Morgan Elsbeth because I think she's the real uh, uh, human face that lets us into the Night Sisters uh, story. Ken, how did you feel about Morgan Elsbeth's journey to uh, become, arguably, a full member of the Night Sister community? Uh, I, I really liked it. This is where I think I, I, I would have liked a little bit more depth. Not, not that's. I don't say that as a criticism of the show. Just the, it, it was. It fit in nicely to what the show was trying to do, and I got a lot out of it. And, and the, the, even the ceremony, so to speak, of her taking the sword. And I mean, other than just being kind of really cool, uh, wild, pulpy Star Wars stuff, uh, I, I, I wish I was rooting. I wish I knew and was rooting more from or- Morgan Elizabeth more because I think she's a great mm. character. It just means I want to go back and learn a little bit more of her path. I mean, she's, she was great in, in Mando and just tying her to just the Imperial side of things and her manufacturing arms. That's all great stuff. And to now know that she was a displaced witch who's trying to get back home. I think there's some uh, additional storytelling, maybe a, a book or a comic series, even though I, I'm trying to catch up with all that. So all that to say, I, I, I think it was effective. I liked it. I liked it to the big themes of what you're talking about, of disconnection. And, and um, I, I, you know, she was in, I don't, I don't say Morgan Elizabeth was in service to anyone, quite frankly, but, you know, working with Thrawn or for Thrawn or trying to connect to Thrawn and, and serving that purpose and then just to get home. And it, it, it ended up working for me. It's powerful. Um, I, 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 I was sad, actually, when she died because I, th- I mm-hmm. thought there was more to the story. There could have been more to the story. So that means to me it was effective. Yeah, I, I think uh, I, I, maybe she can reanimate. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I agree with you. Uh, sometimes I have a weird action figure litmus test where I've watched something and I think I know how I feel. And then I see the action figure and I have a like, I must have that. Yeah, I had a like, I was more attached to Morgan Elizabeth when I realized when I saw her figure and it's like, I, I have to, I have to have that. Um, mm. Which maybe speaks to my own um, dark obsessions. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think I would have, there's so much storytelling in Ahsoka that is less and more and a soft touch. And, but I think it's established so early on that she is a, of the night sister community in some way. We don't have the details. Uh, Alex Damon also has a, a a video deep diving into a possible buried origin for her in some star Wars, uh, short story somewhere. 
I'm not going to trouble myself with that too much right now because <laughs> it's uh, pretty far from on screen or uh, confirmed. Um, but whatever her relationship was to the Night Sisters, I think uh, setting her up so early in the show is uh, an analogy to what Ahsoka and Sabine are going through of of a member of a lost culture, a member of a lost community striving to get back. And I think this portrait of somebody who she aligned herself with Thrawn in the Empire for whatever reasons, she says, I'm a survivor. Mm-hmm. But what's powerful to me is what she really wants is to fulfill reconnection and identity. Um, it, I love the, to me, kind of the completion of her arc. It isn't just getting the gift of shadows from the great mothers, but when Thrawn asks her to sacrifice herself and she's like, of course, uh, and he says for the empire. And then she turns around and says for Dathomir, like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's an example to me of like phenomenal less is more storytelling because it, it retroactively tells me like, okay, everything she's been doing for the empire for Thrawn all this time is for her own ends for her community that that she cares about, um, and I think she she uh, is a great contrast to Ahsoka and Sabine's journey, where they're full of questions and doubt about what it means to be a Jedi. Are they on the right path? Am I doing the right thing? And Morgan Elsbeth is just like this this freight train of like, I got weird dreams. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm doing everything. I will I will give up everything. I rewatched. Um, the scene where she is, you know, converted into given the gift of shadows. Um, uh, she who heard our dreams across the stars. You're ready for the gift of shadows. Do you pledge yourself to the sisterhood, the magic, the old ways? Do you abandon your old life for this new one? It, it really is a mirror of what's going on with Sabine and Ahsoka, where they're full of doubt and questions. And by the end, they kind of get to the same place as Morgan of they pledge themselves to a, a new life here on Pridia. So I think there's a lot of fun mirroring of uh, Ahsoka and Sabine. Mm-hmm. Final thing real quick. Uh, some of that, some of that text in that scene to me is a great example of pulp of you could write that. So it's a little grittier. So it's a little more like we can take this serious. And like, mm-hmm. Nope. It's full on. She who heard our dreams across the stars. It's unashamed mm-hmm. straight out of it an old pulp, an old witchy pulp. Do you pledge yourself to the sisterhood, the magic, the old ways? Uh, I, I love that. Yeah. Jennifer, how do you feel about uh, Morgan Elsbeth's journey? I felt like it was the twist was not really necessary. I mean, I understand from a, from a plot perspective, they kind of had to have that. They're going to introduce the night sisters. Um, but to me, I don't know. Like I thought it was cool. It was interesting, but it didn't, I didn't feel anything when it happened. Mm. And I would have liked, because going back to the Clone Wars, uh, we really see the the Night Sister rituals, right? Mm-hmm. And I felt like it was a ritual that was done hastily, like in a Vegas uh, wedding. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I wanted it to be a little bit more pomp and circumstance. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. You guys, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be I mean to be this. I love the no. show, but yeah. I have uh, I have I have such high expectations because I know we know this world. We know these characters and I'm like if you're you're gonna bring these characters onto the board, let's really sh- let's show like you're talking about Ken. I've been building nice sisters up for years and I'm like ta-da. <laughs> You don't get what, what everything that they are, and so I don't know. I, I thought that, more, and then I was sad that Morgan Elspeth got got gilled. 
Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. Uh, yeah, I just do. Right? I'm like, well, sense. I guess sense. I won't learn that much more. I mean, obviously it has to happen and it may happen in books or comics or other things, but it's like, I, if you're going to introduce that, which is such a big revelation, I really wanted to see it play out and have her be a threat for season two as well. Mm, mm, yeah. The, the, I think there's a lot going on to, to show uh, her, her immense commitment. Um, I think, you know, there, there's such a connection to Sabine of like what Sabine goes through in that episode of the the uh, pledge uh, to an order, the mastery of a blade, uh, mm-hmm, with her getting mm-hmm. uh, Talzin's blade that then cuts to Ezra building his new blade. And mm-hmm. I think there's a lot to compare and contrast to the Jedi. And I think there is some, uh, as much as we love the Night Sisters and we can root for them and understand them, there is still like they're pulling from the dark side. And, and Elspeth's attitude is pretty. Uh, it's the Night Sisters, our community. Yay, sisters! We're gonna kill everybody who's not us, <laughs> yeah, you know. And right. and a little bit of like this is the where the way of the sword leads you kind of stuff going on with her. Maybe mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting discussion. But I still did feel like I, I pumped my fist for Ahsoka and then hung my head for Morgan, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Uh, all at the same time. Yeah. So I think uh, a thing that we're all excited to discuss, given our love of the Night Sisters, and and feeling like maybe we would have liked even more in Ahsoka. Ken, what are your hopes for the reborn Night Sisters back on Dathomir? All them, all them containers. Yeah, it it emerges a little bit of what you were just talking about there at the end of of, of perhaps the lessons of where does vengeance lead you versus uh, where does justice take you. Uh, I want them to be the big baddies in a lot of way, despite there maybe being some reasons to root for them because that would make them even more compelling. Uh, I think this, the, the the Star Wars galaxy, whatever that galaxy is, I don't know the name, Alex. Have you made a video on that yet? Uh, I, I I want them to show up with their containers and everyone to be like, wait. There's witches in Star Wars. I want, <laughs> I want certainly you, Senator Ziono. Ziono, like, like he's he's going to be being actively choked by one, going, "It's not real. It's, it's not, not real. real." Yeah, you're telling me they ride rancors? What? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I'm excited for that. Uh, you know, uh, we got some questions. Uh, we got a question coming up the, uh, on a question show that's about future villains and all that stuff, and that's, that's intriguing mm-hmm. to me because you want something new, but it's it, it's Star Wars that needs to dance around the light in the dark and, and you, you said it there yourself Joseph they they tap into some darkness uh, whether or not their intentions might be good or they come from a good spot I don't know so them returning to that galaxy I don't think it's just to establish uh, reestablish Dathomir and uh, set up some gift shops for people wanting to tour uh, Witchtown I, I, I think they're they're they want to take back uh, what maybe they felt they had or what they want and 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 that's that's very intriguing to me. A new form of villain, right? Some green, some green magic floating around there. Some some green wisps, and and it's been done so well in the Clone Wars. I I, I think that's part of why you know Palpatine knew they had to go. And 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 there's also you know in that timeline, not, 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 we're not talking multiverses here, but in that in that Clone Wars there and all that kind of stuff. I thought I I always took that the witches just were kind of over there. You don't bother them, they won't bother you. I don't even know if that's true. I don't know the whole story on it there. I'm just saying from a, a story, that's how I took it. And I, them coming back and being like, ain't no one going to tell us what to do. No one put, mm-hmm. puts witches in the corner anymore. And and this this guy who may we may or may not think is a clown, this guy, this blue guy, we'll figure that out later. But we need him. He needs us. We got a team. And we're going to come back. And f- for his empire, I don't know. It might be for ours. I think there's a great big danger 
uh, of them, but also you're going to be behind uh, them to a certain point of view, and, and it's going to challenge uh, fans as well if they're the big bad. And I'm I'm super excited about that, and it might not be the case. I don't know. Yeah. I, I really agree. I think uh, the thrill of thinking of Night Sisters on Leash, thinking of them as yes. you know, even if they're they're still aligned with Thrawn, Thrawn is trying to manipulate them and use them as basically his foot soldiers, and they have a little yeah. bit of that. Yeah, we'll we'll sure. uh, take the galaxy for you, and then bye bye Thrawn <laughs> might be their perspective, but mm-hmm. that's really thrilling to think of from just a an aesthetic standpoint of uh, lots of green weirdness flowing on screen is really exciting. But yeah. the deepest thing to me that you're, you're touching into is is what are their true motivations? What do they want? What is their philosophy? Mm-hmm. Uh, because the dark side is natural uh, that it exists, but it's the dark side needing to take over everything that causes imbalance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what what we see of the Night Sisters in the Clone Wars for me is Mother Talzin is kind of playing around with staying in touch with the rest of the galaxy. She's like, all right, uh, Sith Lord, you want an apprentice? Here you go. Here's my son. And, oh, that really did not work out for me. Um, and every interaction they have with the r- larger galaxy is just uh, manipulation and, and horror. And we see them mostly like, we just want to be here. We got our Knight Brothers over there. We're the matriarchal society. We're a sisterhood. Mm-hmm. We're here for Asajj. We're not really, you know, come home. Mm-hmm. We-, we will help you. Uh, and then it is like they really are not poking the bear too much. They they try to assassinate Dooku, but Palpatine doesn't really care about that. Mm-hmm. They're not really poking the bear. It's just Palpatine's like, I don't like them being over there and being powerful. So yeah. I will come to where they live and and kill them for existing. Yeah. Now, contrast that with what we've learned about these great mothers that uh, it, it sounds like in Pridia in the old days, they were the dominant, terrifying power. Mm-hmm. of this force strong planet the uh night sisters that that we know from the clone wars are maybe just sort of like they're they're branching out they started a franchise yeah, yeah <laughs> in the galaxy we yeah. know and these great mothers were maybe the original <laughs> night sisters maybe yeah. you know billions of years old maybe exploded into existence with the stars who knows they're like actually we don't just live peacefully mm-hmm. we conquer um mm-hmm. Or is it just we want to rebuild our ranks and we're just going to sit here on Deathmere? If you leave us alone, we'll leave us alone. Mm-hmm. All that motivation stuff. Do they want to live in peace? Do they want to conquer? Uh, does their culture demand revenge? Like, mm-hmm. after we kill a billion souls, we can be at peace. Like, what is their culture, their perspective? I can't wait to find out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jennifer, what are your hopes for more uh, reborn Night Sisters? Yeah, I think that's a, a really, really great point. And that's what I, I want to see in a season two a whole other show. I don't know, because I do feel like there's so much more to explore. I mean, going back to what is it? The courtship of princess Leia when they were first introduced mm-hmm. and like the idea of these different groups and the different types of night sisters. And what I felt like, what I loved about the clone wars is that yes, it's a matriarchal uh, community society, but there is like a real anger and riot girl element to the characters mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm, that Katie mm-hmm, Lucas, I think, brought in mm-hmm. her in her writing. And I felt like that was kind of missing here. I want to see warriors, not just the mothers. And mm. that was what would make Mother Talzin so interesting is that she was terrifying and and powerful but she was also nurturing and 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 manipulative like all these things and that's what made her such an interesting and complex character and i just felt like that was lacking 
with these mothers. We didn't get to really see any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, how could they? How, I mean, unless they do, did a whole episode on it, and that's not what, what the show is about. What, so, What if season two begins and, and they're unpacking their crates listening to some Bikini Kill at L7, and they're just, <laughs> <laughs> they're yes. just going for it. <laughs> like, we're back. But you know what I mean, right? Yeah. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know. I just, I, um, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, just something I, like about very, like it's a female empowerment. And like, that's what like, you know, that's why so many people are, nowadays are like talking about covens and, and, and witches. And it's like, it's reclaiming that power and finding the strength in that. And I just felt like that was not here. Yeah. And, and it could be a righteous story of like Dathomir in this sector is, is our, our planet, our world, we have a deep connection to it and we want that. And, and maybe it will be a story of just righteousness of we're not here to fight your war. We're here to reclaim what's ours. Mm-hmm. It could also absolutely be that story. And, right. and that would tap into something really powerful, I think, as yeah. well. Uh, we're going to take a break. but We've got a recommendation first, right, Ken? We do. We do. Uh, we've got a audiobook we think you should try out on us. We're suggesting E.K. Johnston's Crimson Climb. Uh, we, we are excited to dive into this one ourselves, uh, another Kira story. You want to listen to it? You can do it on us by downloading your free audiobook today by going to audibletrial.com slash center. Once again, that's audibletrial.com slash center for your free audiobook. All right, quick break. We'll be back to dive into more of the pulpier side of Ahsoka here on Force Center. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the show. Oh, man, we've got some Riot girl punk music playing in the background. <laughs> We're talking about witches and vengeance and uh, the future of their journey, but also uh, Joseph diving into uh, even more of the pulp in Ahsoka. That is right. Where do you go from witches? Well, how about their zombies that they make? Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to be sure to talk about the undead night troopers uh star wars has had a couple of uh, versions of zombie troopers there's the eu death troopers book which I, I have never read i'm not super familiar with uh one of my favorite arcs in in the clone wars is the uh, geonosian brainworms, where the clones are uh, animated uh, by those geonosian uh, brainworms. it's definitely uh, some zombie aesthetic going on uh but here we get uh, full-on uh, <laughs> zombie troops, what the people have been asking for for decades, uh, reanimated in live action with dark magics. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, try advertising that at Costco. Yeah. Would you like some of these? They've been reanimated in live action with dark magics. Uh, Jennifer, what is what to you is is fun and interesting about the zombie troopers and uh, and their relationship to the Night Sisters? Okay, so here's my critique. <laughs> All right, so here's the thing. So. I loved the uh, Death Troopers book. It was terrifying when I read it, especially because it's like mm. it, it's in such a small space that they tell this story. Mm. And I, I, I had nightmares for weeks. And mm. so I'm like, well, maybe it's because it was in a book that it made it scary. But then I think of the Brainworms uh, episodes. And that to me was also terrifying and creepy, even though it's quote unquote cartoon. So it's not that. So I was like, what was it missing? Because it felt a little bit like a video game to me. I know Mm. the characters are going to live. They're going to escape. It's going to be fine. What could it, but we know that with like Walking Dead, right? We see Mm -hmm. that all the time. We know our heroes are most likely going to (laughs) live. What I think could have been beneficial would have been adding, and this is where it's complicated, right? Because this is also for kids. Having some like flesh dripping some sort of gore element i actually could have to add up like the creep factor the scare factor i think it could have made it just i don't know a little bit more frightening because to me i just was kind of sitting there passively like i know i'm supposed to feel something and it's cool that zombie troopers are there but mm, and i'm a scaredy cat or (laughs) you know even look at game of thrones with the white walkers Mm-hmm. Every time those no characters works. came on screen, I was terrified because oh, there yeah. we didn't know if one of our heroes was going to get, you know, uh, uh, killed. 
And so there's a real threat. So I feel like if you're going to introduce these characters, these zombie troopers, make them either gory or have somebody die. Mm. I, I think that you're tapping into something really interesting that a lot of what I enjoyed about the night troopers was on a, a, a aesthetic thematic level. Mm. But I think what was, what isn't there that you're describing is uh, seeing them, the horror of them through the eyes of the uh, protagonist through Ahsoka, yes. uh, Sabine and Ezra's eyes. Ahsoka, yeah. Sabine and Ezra are like, we had never seen that before. And then it is treated uh, as an obstacle, which which really works in the show because that's Thrawn's intention of mm, let's right. let's let's put something that they just have to chew through again and again and again. That's going to keep coming. And, and from a storytelling standpoint, it, it taps into uh, uh, some of what is powerful to me about zombies uh, that they have that that they have a single minded focus like the the they're just hunger eat repeat and i think it's one of the reasons we're attracted to them because i think we have this pull deep down of like what if we didn't have all these complex feelings what if we just wanted one thing mindlessly went after it got it and then repeat forever that there's a little bit of like there's a horror in zombies but i think part of what we're seeing is this horror of strip everything away and we're zombies we just want to eat <laughs> and repeat um and i think that's there a little bit with the night troopers that they sort of embody the the endless violence of the dark side. They're just there to kill these Jedi. They get killed by the Jedi. They get up and try to kill again, try to kill again, die, reanimate, kill, die again. I like that vibe, but I totally agree with you. And I think it's a great insight that it doesn't become a true horror movie because we don't have that shot where Ahsoka or Sabine looks at them and sees the horror that they could become that, that somebody they love could become that, that their understanding of the world is shattered by the existence of it. There's some great banter and they really do. They really are like too many waves um, and they aren't horrified. And I'm not arguing that they should be, but I, I think it's one of these interesting conversation that keeps coming up with Ahsoka, that there are so many fabulous ingredients in the stew that, are are they all given justice? And you're, I, I think the Death Troopers book, I've never read it, but the whole point was to be a, a zombie story in Star Wars. The Gene Ocean brainworms were supposed to be like, this is horrifying. We're down in the depths, in the caverns of this other culture that we don't fully understand. We're not supposed to be here. We don't know if we can get out. We're If we don't get out, we're going to become them. And there's a horror of becoming them and losing your agency. And in none of that, there isn't room or desire to make it into a true horror movie. It's it's mostly on the surface. Ken, what are your thoughts? I have a ton. And because we keep talking about Costco, I keep thinking, are hot dogs zombie food? Because you reanimate them in the microwave, <laughs> but you're not quite sure what makes them. Uh, oh, and I'm thinking God. of And little, we could become them. And we could become them. Oh, my them. gosh. Those um, hot dog fingers. There's, for, so this is the um, – like my my own frustrating journey with pulp like what do i like it or not like ken choose a side in 2009 that death trooper book comes out i remember seeing it on the shelf at what we used to call kids bookstores and i remember thinking oh oh, oh my god that's you know i've been kind of keeping eye on star wars here in these years let, let me see what's going on and i, I picked up the book and i turned around and i was like 
Ah, zombies, nah. And I put it back on the shelf and just kept walking. But I love the Clone Wars stuff that we're talking about here, especially on the Clone Wars report. We really took a deep dive back into it about what it means and the themes. And I think there's that kind of connection. Um, and and maybe some of that was missing. I, I, I'm not directly comparing them. I just don't think that's fair. But like the Hard Home episode of Game of Thrones from season five had a real personal connection when I think that character of Carsey, who can't bring herself to kill the children who are White Walkers or or whites, as they're called, um, to can't bring herself. She's a mother. She can't do it. And she's killed by them and becomes it. And it's this real kind of fear, like you're talking about, Joseph, of that could be you. Yeah, this could happen. And I, I think that is lacking in, 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 in this. But I, I really do like the look of the Night Troopers. I think the design is great. Whether flesh have been dripping out of their eyes or something, Jen, you've, <laughs> you're, you're a scaredy cat. But I think you're you're dancing with your own nightmares here. This That's that's horrifying. Yeah. I do think one of the more effective moments was is when that uh, Death Trooper, uh, uh, who is mm-hmm. a Night Trooper, has his helmet kind of cracked. And you're kind of seen underneath and you're like, what? Is that like it was? It was up front. It, 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 it's it's chilling for me. So, I I think also, and I I, I submit this to the court here is 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 not evidence, but a question, uh, maybe to the jury. Uh, also, we've seen because of shows like Game of Thrones, and certainly not first into the zombie uh, jungle, uh, Walking Dead, all those any George Romero film, when they started to become reanimated. And, and, and there had been so much wonderful speculation leading up to that. The moment the night troopers showed up, people were like, I, I think they're zombies. or re- mm-hmm. you know. mm-hmm. And so when it started to happen and, and Soka does turn around and they're, and they're coming back up, I had that like, well, yeah, yeah, of course. And I had – so I was almost let down because I've seen that 50 other times and I'm not that, – that, that is not a negative towards Ahsoka. They need – you had to have that moment and I thought it was a good moment. But I think there, it, was a, it was a victim of we've been here before. And, and and I can't. It's hard to separate, uh, and it's not. Mm-hmm. A, it's not even fair to the show. Um, but as far as overall, uh, they were my least favorite of the pulpier side of Ahsoka, only because I think I have a weird relationship with zombies. It's a step too far for me at times. But the mm-hmm. design was cool. Enoch will talk mm. about is it. cool, and I really love the look. And I hope we're not done with them. And I hope we see more of it. And I want to know at what point did they die? At what point were they first reanimated? Was it in that moment, or was it early on? But that's why when the Death Trooper shows up, I'm like, he doesn't look like a dude that just got brought back to life. He looks like he's been dead for a long time. And so there's there's a lot of that fun, chilling stuff around it that uh, once and again, the, I'm I, I am not someone that needs. Every bit of information explained in a show. These are questions the show made me ask myself, which is actually a good thing. Of I'd love to know a little bit more about that. So I have a, have a, a weird relationship with the Night Troopers, but in the end, I, I, I'm positive. Yeah, I, I think you're bringing up a lot of uh, uh, great points. I, I think, you know, we'll discuss at some point. We got questions coming in about uh, Merrick, the, you know, mm. mystery inquisitor who explodes into a, a green right. gas. Uh, that, who actually. seems like, yeah, he's been dead a real long time. Is, is my head cannon and Morgan, you know, mm. was, was getting those dreams and getting some maybe some manuscripts and tapping into the old ways and yeah. made herself an inquisitor uh, out of Merrick. Um, a reanimated Inquisitor. Uh, but I, I do think uh, that the audience speculation was way ahead of thinking that yes. all of those troops lined up. Mm. Um, I texted with, with Alex Damon, <laughs> you know, it's when we couldn't talk. And I would text uh, Alex sometimes after an episode um, during the strikes. And we were both like, zombies? Yeah, zombies, yeah. When they first showed up and they're wrapped mm. up in that red tape that looks like of the Night Sisters and, mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. it is, like this is containing your broken 
bones and melting yeah. flesh and mixed with green magic. So I think there is there was something in that, oh, we got ahead of the show. And I actually liked the story in the show better, which I interpreted as, no, that, that was just taping up their armor. And right? mm. they, were, they were all alive because I think the most emotional part of the Night Troopers story is these are the volunteers. Mm-hmm. So they went to a group of these Night Troopers who I think were totally alive then and say, you so believe in the cult of Thrawn. Here's what we would like you to do. We're going to throw you into the path of three Jedi and they are going to hack you to bits. Mm. Would you then be willing to come back to life and keep getting hacked to bits and die again and again and again? And all those night troopers are like, sounds good. That's how much I believe in Thrawn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or maybe the night sisters. Maybe maybe they worship the night sisters too. Yeah. Uh, it, to me, if I wanted to throw a horror element into it, you know, mm. having them wailing and screaming and going through pain to die and die and die again because they so believe in Thrawn and or the great mothers mm-hmm. like that. That's a part of it that can kind of get into, into true levels of horror. And I, and I agree with you, Ken also final thing I'll say about it is I, I feel like the actual death trooper with a little bit of it, uh, the helmet broken away a little bit of Jennifer's uh, uh, rotting flesh <laughs> uh, visible and a little bit of that unstoppable, they're also like the night troopers kept coming, but besides that one death trooper, there also wasn't the standard zombie thing of it's not just they're going to kill me. They're going to violate yeah, me. Yeah. They're right. going to eat me. eat me like a <laughs> Costco hot dog. Yeah. And then I'm going to become a Costco hot dog. Right, right. They're just grabbing them. That, that, that the way the death troopers were coming at uh, Ezra and Sabine, I think got a little bit more to that. Like it's, they're not just going to kill me. They're going to do something horrible to me. Yeah. I, I would like if they would have taken even more. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I, yeah. Push the envelope a little bit. I, I agree with you on that, Jed. I, 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 w- I would like if there's a second season, I, I still put if in front of it because we, we don't really know. I, I may be safe to assume at some point. But if we get a second season, uh, there, uh, Amar Chata Patel, who played Borman in the Willow TV series. Oh, yes. I, so I, good. I want him to be so a, a, a stormtrooper. They've run into it like a campsite. And he's like, bleep that bleep. I did not want to be part of that. And he's like, let me, yes, t- let me yes. tell you. And he's, he's got kind of his wits about him. He's got a personality. And he's like, no, no, no. I left. The, the moment Thrawn, I asked that, I stopped chanting. I, I told Enoch, eh, I'm out. And I ran away. That, that would help. That would have, that's how I want the information about what happened. A character like that. It's a great that's comedy sketch yeah. when they're yeah. presented with like, who among you volunteers? And one of them's like, what? You're <laughs> all good with this. Like in the cocky one who thinks, doesn't matter. The Jedi are never going to get me, so I'm not going to be reanimated. Do you see even Jedi? Never get me, yeah, yeah. There's no Jedi here. Yeah. That's what I think is missing is like having that type of a character within this group of heroes. Because if they're all just like, this is no problem, we're going to, you know, we're going to duke this out, whatever. But I need to have like a Finn or somebody who's going to comment who's representing us, the audience, or, you know, like, <laughs> oh, these, this is really bad. Like, it was a funny little quip that Ezra said. That was that was a funny little moment. But I really mm-hmm. want to, I don't know, I just wanted something more. Like a yeah, Borman the, type character. Yeah, the, no, this is new. And I mean, and they, they are they're disturbed. It's not that they're like, eh. But, right. but it doesn't but get like, to that level of, of like, deep existential horror and dread of yes. It's an obstacle. It's a scary, overwhelming Mm -hmm. obstacle, but not a deep fear. Um, While we're on the topic of troops, uh, I do want to talk about Enoch's little faceplate. uh, Because my my first viewing uh, of Ahsoka had some ups and downs when they they got to episode six, when they got to Peridia. And like, 
Night Sisters, Turtle Folk, Cults, <laughs> Guy with Faceplate. I was like, okay, I'm in. Uh, because mm-hmm. I so love the pulp mm-hmm. in that episode in particular, it was like, let's go. And even the way it sur- he turns and reveals his weird little golden faceplate was really uh, powerful to me. Uh, Ken, do you have headcanon of what's going on with Enoch or where that comes from? I think I think he went out and marauded for it. I think it's it's a precious uh, material from the planet itself. They talk about marauders just marauding and taking from each other and destroying. And I, I think he he I think it was his specific helmet. Whatever happened, maybe it was in a fight when they're trying to establish their presence on this planet. And and at one point, he's just got an exposed face. He's like, this ain't going to work. And what about this? I think he I think he smelted himself. I think he pounded it into, into uh, you know, uh, the correct shape. I, I think he put some love into it. And and I think through that, he might have already had a position of, of authority or some sort of rank in, in, in Thrawn's crew. But I think he really he conquered the land with that. And it's a side. It's a crown. And I, I think that was part of his rise in Thrawn's army. I so agree. To me, it's got a a vibe of um, real life conquering mm-hmm. of people and their resources and their culture. I, I have headcanon like you can that he that that there this was a valuable material and he fought with the other troopers for it and mm-hmm. won it and hammered it. I also have that like doesn't quite match mm-hmm. in scale or size because it's just somebody else's precious mask yeah and he took it from a culture that they had to go up against and that they conquered and destroyed and i think that's what's scary about it for me of like that's not right that's not yours and you are wearing it in this way that is now has meaning within the weird culture in Mm. this cult of thrawn in the empire that you've created where Mm. whosoever wears the stolen mask is ruler of the troops it definitely has that lord of the flies I have the leader mask that yeah. I stole from another culture. That to me, so I think that's just such a big difference between like Enoch's fit little faceplate to me is tip of the iceberg. It's mm-hmm. fun to imagine. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of the other things we're discussing are, uh, it, that was the start of a story as opposed to, yeah. I don't need to know the answer to this one. Yeah. It's, I'll, I'll speculate until end times. But yeah. I need to know what happened to the Night Sisters. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and you're talking about end times. Uh, you know, there's I, people are going to put in comments. Edic has you know a biblical connection. A man that didn't mm-hmm. die, who was uh, uh, you know taken up by God. All those kind of things. So I, I think it all wonderful, wonderfully uh, uh, fulfills uh, you know some some fantasies you might have about this character, about the journey, and what a Star Wars tradition. Imagine getting that three and three quarter figure in '83 and not knowing how that face got like that. Oh, you'd spend decades wondering, and I think that's fun. <laughs> yeah, and we might. Uh, Jennifer, how do you feel about Enoch's little faceplate? I loved I loved this detail. It was so cool. And it, I, my headcanon is that, they, like your guys are saying, you know, that they stole this. It's an ancient mask stolen from some some another culture. And I just would picture Thrawn maybe holding the mask mm. and saying, this would suit you well. And like this kind of like – you know, tender moment between these two of, of, and like him taking that honor and then, you know, putting it on his helmet. I just, I really see, yeah, that'd be fun. A flashback scene, season two. Yeah, I, I think you're really, uh, it's a great point to pull Thrawn into it. And I think it has a little bit of that of his uh, study of other cultures art uh, to understand them and also willingness to, to uh, 
steal and abuse their culture. Like that great Hera Calicori episode where he understands the culture, but only so that he can dominate it. So the idea Mm -hmm. that he would have been like, one of you is going to get this mask and I'm going to imbue it with all this meaning in our little culture. Mm. And will it be you, Enoch, is great. It's a flex too. It's like, look at, look at my guy. <laughs> <It's a flex. laughs> you know? That is the, that's a, we didn't have to have this whole conversation. It's a flex it's is a flex. the answer to this. <laughs> Strong's flex. Yes, Strong's flex. Enoch's flex. Uh, we've talked a lot of the dark pulp. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit of the, the, I think, a uh, lighter pulp, uh, starting with the Purgle, the star whales. We've met Purgle before, but now they're in live action. Uh, we went literally not inside the belly of the beast, but the mouth of the beast, still pretty mm. mythical. Uh, we saw a planet surrounded by a purgle bone graveyard. We learned that they have the power to migrate between galaxies. The universe is theirs for their wandering. Uh, Jennifer, what was most interesting to you about the the purgles in live action in Ahsoka? I loved that they really leaned into it because we saw a little glimpse of them in The Mandalorian. And mm-hmm. I, at that time, I was mm. like, what are they going to look like? How are mm. they going to do this? I hope they don't look so cartoonish, right? And mm-hmm. they they did not. They look like a great mix from the Exegorth uh, space slug, right, mm-hmm. uh, to, I don't know, now. And so um, they felt very real and very tactile. And I, I appreciated that we saw a lot of them. And some mm-hmm. shots look better than others, but <laughs> overall – I was I was very pleased. I just loved that. Yeah, I thought they looked I thought they looked great. I think there's uh, overall I think Ahsoka looked looked great in terms of the like uh, the CGI elements. Like every once in a while there's some like yeah, this is shot on the volume, but I thought, you know, mm-hmm. unlike mm-hmm. as we've discussed, you know, some of the Kenobi moments where the CGI was uh, a little felt rushed mm-hmm. and under budgeted. Uh I didn't feel that with the the Purgles. Ken, how did you feel about their look, about their meaning, about their role? What did you make of them? I mean, my journey with those GD space whales has been <laughs> well documented and loud. And I, and I love where I'm at now, where I, I really do enjoy their presence. I enjoy the little moments. One of my favorite moments is Balin looking up into the sky and they're up there, right? Uh, I love seeing that. And, and you know, the, these are whales and that that, that makes you think of, of the vastness of the ocean, this unexplored territory mm. on our own world and what's out there. And for them to be there, I think it's, it's effective. Uh, um, uh, I really liked it. I, I think there was, uh, uh, again, this isn't a criticism of the show. It's just where we are. At and, 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 and you could have this, you talk about a four center bingo card. There's a Filoni bingo card. And, and so there was like, well, of course the whales are going to be there. And, and we had the, the hints in with Grogu looking at him. Another beautiful moment. Um, I, I've, I, I, I love them and I love their use and I love this this world that's unexplored. It just adds to that. I love that they, dare I say, have chosen a side and the side is light. Uh, my mm-hmm. relationship with them started, of course, with Rebels because uh, it was weird. It was, you know, high pulp, if we can put mm-hmm. pulp in the categories. And I rubbed up against it. But this is, I think, the value of uh, when we come to Force Center to engage with not just what's presented, but the themes and something you're so passionate about, Joseph. Once I really uh, just took even the surface level themes around the the whales, there, there's there's organic, and then there's uh, the mechanic, and 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 then Thrawn and and Ezra, and 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 how how they played in that story was very valuable to me. There was a pushback. I have to own that this was during the Last Jedi era. And this was the Filoni is thy god and should they should fire Kathleen Kennedy and, and, and he should be in charge. This is the 2017 discourse in 2018. And I just remember being like, I don't think you want that because if he did take over, you'd have space whales. And I think you all think that's <laughs> silly. 
And I used to, those were the arguments I'd have. So that built up a little bit of resistance to the purgle from me. That's gone away. That's melted away. Now Dave does have uh, a little more authority, a little more decision-making power. And look what's happened. We got the whales again. And and I just, I think there's, uh, it is absolutely mythic in the, in, in the best ways possible. Her, Ahsoka, out on uh, her ship, um, communicating with it. There's the shots around it, all effective. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed them. Yeah, I think it was a great uh, extension of how we were introduced to them. We we were introduced to them through the eyes of of even even Kanan, even the right. rebels who are coded is like these are weird nuisances. Like, yeah. uh, and it's it's a great touch point for Ezra to be like we could look at them as other beings. We could yeah. communicate with them. We could find value in nature instead of perceiving it as an a is an annoyance to our need for fuel, um, which is a real organic versus mechanic. And I think all those ideas are just, the similar ideas to it in Rebels are absolutely here in Ahsoka, the natural versus the unnatural, the idea that uh, hyperspace travel came from watching whales do it, the idea that they're, this is their natural migration path. So like, Mm. it's nature. They're just doing what they're doing. Um, And I, I also just, it is pretty straightforward um, light side, dark side, complex controlling uh, machinations versus uh, just reaching out and connecting and asking for a favor because we're all connected. But I do like that Morgan's path to this other uh, galaxy is dark dreams, ancient maps, stone technology, murdering anyone who gets in the way, mm-hmm. and the great uh, so because that well that that's the only path there. And then right. the celebration of pulp going. Uh, wait a minute, just look up, just look around you. Mm-hmm. The the galaxy, the universe is infinitely more weird and infinitely more possible. And I'm not going to try to control, manipulate, use uh, these uh, creatures. I'm going to gently, with the force, <laughs> hitchhike. Yeah. You know? And the idea that there is actual communication going on, it's really fun to think about. Like, is it just the emotion of, how much I want to connect to Sabine, how much I want to see Ezra again. I don't think she's reaching out all peacefully going, Thrawn must be stopped. I think right. she's reaching out and like with the emotion of, I need to reconnect. I need to migrate mm-hmm. back to where I'm supposed to be, to be with my pod. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and the Pergo's like, oh, I get that. I get it. Come on in. <laughs> you you know, that, that's my headcanon of what's yeah. actually going on there. That, yeah. it's, it's really beautiful. Um, Jennifer, any other thoughts about the, uh, the Pergles? No, no. <laughs> I'm really, I realize that I've, spent, I've talked a lot about other things. I'm going to keep it brief. <laughs> you got it. You got it. Uh, moving on then from the old Star Whales. Uh, there's a lot in Ahsoka that's about exploration and adventure elements. Uh, the kind of uh, pulp uh, storytelling and serial storytelling that Indiana Jones is really riffing on. Ancient temples, lost maps, puzzles, uh, storybook uh, tales that begin to come true. Stone circles aligned with the stars. All that uh, sort of uh, globe trotting, but it, now it's universe trotting storytelling. Uh, Ken, how do you think these uh, those elements help tell the story of Ahsoka? I, I think it it, it helped uh, uh, unravel everyone's uh, you know true purpose. I love what you're saying about Ahsoka having to you know 
uh, kind of uh, change her, her her viewpoint of what we're doing to succeed. What is success? What's the path to success? And this is about discovering uh, ways. This is about uncovering and unlocking uh, the ways to solve all this stuff. And I think that's part of the, the journey, not to get too, uh, you, know, uh, you know, philosophical about it, but I think that's there. It's also just fun adventures. And this was um, what the series set out to do. This wasn't Mothma at a dinner party having coded conversation. <laughs> That's a different kind of Star Wars adventure. This was what it was. It starts right at the beginning. I, I, I talked often in the past, the last couple months here, about running through our buddy Mike Black and uh, at the comedy store and him just saying how much he loved the series. The first thing he went to was Ahsoka taking the blades out, digging a hole into the ground, you know, mm. that, that was like, ah, just that Star Wars I love. And I, I think that is part of the, the DNA. Uh, you are picking up and going on an adventure. And that's what we love about Raiders and Indy and all those things in Star Wars and any of these kind of uh, even leaving the Shire if you want. And you need to have a map to do that. Like, I, I think that that just was valuable to what they were trying to accomplish. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it has the same allure as as what Indiana Jones is tapping into and what Star Wars has often tapped into, I think, since, mm. you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi goes on his various speeches in A New Hope, or even that's a, a name I've not heard in a long time, a long time, the idea that there's this tantalizing truth of our past that might help us understand our present or our future. Um, I, I think all of these elements add up. They're all, almost all ancient. Mm-hmm. Something about something ancient is being reborn or discovered or something we assumed couldn't be true because it's so old. Maybe is, I think, speaks to this deep yearning to understand ourselves that mm-hmm. where did we come from? How much does our past shape us? If I visit a city my ancestors moved away from 500 years ago, will I find some part of myself there? Uh, it, it's thrilling storybook stuff, but I think that's the deeper kind of thing it's hooking into jennifer how, how do you feel about the exploration adventure elements in ahsoka yeah, yeah i thought i i think that's why i loved the world between worlds uh episode episodes um i don't know because it was just really exploring ah- ahsoka and getting her to where i wanted her to be which was a little bit more active engaged right mm-hmm. um but it made me think you know there's something to what bob Iger said about not having as many shows. And I thought that this show did an amazing job with the money that they had to make it look really, really fantastical and matching what they're presenting. But I do feel like if it was a movie, maybe, I don't know, it just, it might've felt a little bit more grand. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's like, I think of like the last Jedi and like, you know, the caretaker's village and just like, there's something so real and lived in. And I felt like they, like they kind of gave us that, but I feel like it could have been even more. And this is a character that I think deserves that just like Kenobi, I think could have mm-hmm. also benefited from that. So um, I, I love what they did with the show, but that is something that I was thinking about. I was like, or maybe if they had a game of Thrones budget, I don't know. No, I, I agree with that. I think some of the, just like the scale of the, scale. the, the scale of it. and, yes. and yes. yeah, what, what you're it. able to evoke from it. I also think as much as I love all this stuff and it's great, I think one of the, one of the challenges of, of pulp and science fiction and fantasy is it is a fantastic exploration of bizarre and unseen and can't be real, but we have so much of that storytelling that it starts to feel normal. And then it right. loses some of that charm of, mm. This isn't one of those dramas where Cary Grant's in a suit and has conversations in a living room because it's based on a play. Mm -hmm. This is wild, unseeable fantasy. And I think Star Wars has a danger that it needs to be careful with its fantasy elements that they don't reuse them. Mm -hmm. And 
as much as I love all this stuff, a little of the punch is lost when we've we've got a lot of we've now had lots of lost maps to ancient things. We've had mm-hmm. lots of lost mm-hmm. maps to ancient temples. What was the most powerful in here to me was, oh, are some of our ancient in-universe stories true? That was the most compelling to me because Star Wars hasn't been there mm-hmm. as often as they have of uh, temples and uh, lost maps. Agreed. Yeah. I, I really agree with that. Again, this is one of the, this is like the, uh, no fault of the show. Just we'd seen some things before and, and, and a lot of fantasy sci-fi stuff or Star Wars itself. So it, it might, might lose its impact, even though it's very important to the story. Yeah. Yeah. So let's uh, talk just a little bit uh, about the ancient stories coming true. That's such a big thread uh, of, of Balin realizing almost childlike that it's all those stories are real. Maybe I'm going to go to pretty and find out if they're real. Um, also who Yang revealing that pretty is a tale told to younglings at the Jedi temple. Uh, who Yang goes so far as to use the phrase a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Ken, how do you feel about uh, the, the importance of ancient stories, but also uh, let's just be uh, real star Wars nerds. How do you feel about actually hearing that famous phrase a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away in story? If you would, told me that they were going to say that in any Star Wars show uh, I don't know if I would have I would have groaned right I, w- I, I made mm-hmm. a joke years ago but uh, episode 9 should end with 3PO going and these were the walls and the stars and everyone laughed because that's <laughs> silly uh, and this was this could have been on that level but I don't think it was I think there was something about the sweetness of the moment something about Huang uh, telling, telling the story uh, and Ahsoka wanting to hear it after this great conversation it was one of my favorite conversations in the show. Uh, and, and I thought it was effective because of, um, you know, it, it, it's we're, we're, we're we know it's all real at this point. We're, we're living in mm-hmm. this pretty as real. Thing. And so I don't know. There was a sweetness to it that I really liked that I, I don't think I could, you w- wouldn't have seen if you had just been handed the script page. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think I had a complex relationship with it because I loved the scene. I love the idea. I love Hu Yang, but I think I would have had the oh, that's sweet. Let's mm. cut that. <laughs> just the just the not actual wrong. line. Yeah, um, not wrong. For me, I absolutely love the spirit of it. I love the story that 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 mm-hmm. the Jedi are so ancient that their connection to this other place lives on in stories that are so old you don't even really know how much of them are real and how much of them are fantasy what i love about that is i think it reflects the power of star wars that that's mm. the way we can approach these stories of not get too uptight about canon details but yeah these are ancient myths and the details shift a little bit and what matters in the ancient myths is the spirit the lessons the tales the morality tales so i really love that oh wow a morality an ancient morality tale that ahsoka heard right after Plo Koon brings her to the temple Mm -hmm. is turning into something real. That's fantastic and beautiful. Love the spirit of it. Hu Yang saying the actual line for me, and I know a a lot of people are going to have strong opinions about this one. I think every once in a while for me, Filoni does some writing that's just a little too meta and it bumps me out of the fantasy moment. I feel the same way about uh, that Mandalorian season one beat where the bounty hunter says, I can bring you in warmer, I can bring you in cold. And Din says, that's my line. Uh-huh. Like, I, I can buy that. That's, hey, that's maybe a thing Din started and now the, all the other bounty hunters are saying. But it's just a little too close to the surface of of meta, of, mm-hmm. of acknowledging our world of audience and show. Where I, I, I want to stay in the myth as much as possible. And it's not, I'm not flipping tables. I'm not furious. I'm not saying it's, it's awful, but I think for <laughs> me, it's like, it's just a, 
uh, it would have been really cool to me if he had a phrase that sounded almost exactly like that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but wasn't literally that. And, you know, people had discussions immediately, and I'm sure fun discussions of, has Hu Yang been telling us the story all the time? And to me, that wasn't the point, but no, it, no. It, it it creates that possibility. Yeah. Jennifer, uh, what do you think about all this? Yeah, it was, I know it was supposed to be cute. I did not care. <laughs> I did not care for it. I mean, that's why I loved the, the Hans line. You know, it's mm. true, all of it, and that's why it became so mm. so memeable. Is you right. can kind of you can you can like you're saying you can have a substitute to actually doing that. It took me out of the moment, and mm. it's a moment where I was like, oh, this is if my kids were watching, I they would have gotten a kick out of that, or mm. I could have been like, oh, remember that's that's from the crawl, right? It's that's a moment where I was like, oh, I think I'm too old. I'm too old to appreciate <laughs> this. I mean, honestly. And there's a lot of moments in this show where I realize, like, I, I'm I'm an old lady. And I've seen a lot. And it's going to take a lot for me to be something. surprised. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like, I, I finally just saw everything everywhere all at once. That movie was like anything I've seen before. It was incredible. Now I understand why everyone was so passionate about it. Right. And, uh, there's just so many movies like that. And so it's going to take a lot for me, um, to really (laughs) be surprised and not an old, an old grandma about it. That's cute. That's cute. I, I, love, I love cynical Jen. That's, that's yeah. I'm sorry, guys. I'm coming off from the holidays. Smoking a, smoking no, a cigarette. No. Going, I've, se- I've seen some bleep. I've seen that before. I've seen it all. It's true. It's the, all it, it. Your oldest isn't even 10 yet, right? <laughs> Eight. Eight. So you got a little time before before grandma. But. Oh, uh, oh uh, God, yes. Please don't even put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just. I'm. You said I'm an old grandma. So I just wanted to. 40. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you got a lot of time. Um, but but I, I agree. And I think that is part of what we're talking about is the absolute wonder of uh, of fantasy is mm-hmm. new. And I think um, everywhere, uh, everything everywhere all at once is a great example of the emotional realism. The emotional truth is super relatable mm-hmm. right there on the surface. Mm-hmm. And then it's just covered in the most bonkers business you can. But no, nobody would be like, I don't understand emotionally what's happening in this film or what the characters care about. It's super, super relatable. Right. And then everything around it is, is bonkers. Right. Um, which is a really great uh, comparison. Uh, all right. So moving on to just a, a one more topic before we hear wrap up here. Uh, pulp isn't all dark and scary. It can absolutely be a uh, whimsical, uh, like Ezra's uh, noty friends, the turtle folk, <laughs> as Ken called them, um, or the just kind of straightforward sci-fi of Hu Yang's rock'em sock'em robot fight yeah. with the assassin droids, which I really, really love. Uh, Ken, did you have a favorite whimsical pulp element? Um, I, it's funny, and wanting to discuss this when we pitched this uh, internally, and you're like, I want to talk about this. I was like, I want to talk about the Night Sisters. I want to talk about the 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 the, the noty, or as I call them a lot, the naughty, which. It's probably not their makeup. Uh, I, there's something I there. I guarantee you in 2015 or 2014, I would have been like, no, absolutely not. I don't want this. That's not that's not realistic. Um, but then, you know, I guess I would forget Return of the Jedi, forget Star Wars, forget the, the cantina bar with like a cricket in it, like a grasshopper. Mm-hmm. Like this is definitely Star Wars. And it was so effective. It was uh, I really love this community of kind of. Um, 
The only thing they got is defense. The only thing they got is survival. They can't go on the offense. That's been their way. And Ezra comes along and and changes the the breaks the circle of of uh, and the wheel of the the violence of, of the planet. And, and it is also effective and just sweet and cute. And we always say there's a there's a a place for cute in Star Wars. And this is uh, I I really not everyone enjoyed them. I'm sure, but but this from from the start. When there was a little crazy Disney Mr. Toad's Wild Ride turtle there, <laughs> it's like this. Is, I'm on board. I I so agree with you, and it, it was uh, my thrill in in part six too. Mm. Of like, we've got the dark pulp of the witches yeah. and the creepy Enoch mask, and oh, the little turtle weirdo is <laughs> great. Um, it, and I agree with you. I think like their deeper meaning is totally they're they're in a, mm-hmm. a thematic extension of Ezra. They're living the shell life. Mm-hmm. They are uh, about community. They are about defense. Uh, the in the the rebel alliance carve thing is great but what i really like about them in terms of the pulp and this is weird to go from turtle folk to batman begins but to me that is again that essential difference where like that nolan movie batman begins wants to make batman make sense Mm -hmm. where there are like batman writers like grant morrison uh will there's a viral uh response that he gave to somebody asking him at a convention exactly how old is Batman? Cause it's not realistic that he's raised three Robins and he's still out there fighting. And Grant Morrison kind of loses his mind. He's like, we have the real world for realism. Hmm. I want to write about a mythical man who dresses up as a bat. He's 84. He's 32. He's 37 forever. Who gives a bleep? Yeah. The fantasy is the point. So almost investing in things that borderline aren't real, can't be real unabashedly and to me i look at those little noty suits not that they're turtle folk that they're turtle folk who look like you know children dressed up for a high school play of great expectations <laughs> in their little suits <laughs> and that their little suits just barely make any actual functional sense mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. they're there to be delightful to be charming to be aggressively silly and fun and heartwarming mm-hmm. and that's really what i love about them Jennifer, how do you feel about uh, any uh, whimsical elements of pulp in Ahsoka? I give away my time to... (laughs) What is it? I concede my time? I I really can't think of anything. Because, I yeah, I should have liked the noties. And I thought that they were um, cute. Uh, but, um, I don't know. I, for some reason they didn't really grab me as much. I can't think of anything at the moment. For for the noti, do you think, yeah, go ahead. If they were a foot taller, would you have liked them? I think actually a foot smaller. Oh, okay. Tiny. You know what I mean? They almost look too turtle-like for mm. me um take for like what was it oh my gosh i can't remember was that kenobi yeah with the the mole character that zach braff yeah yeah uh, played I yeah. Right. Yeah. like that was really fun and interesting um because it was kind of like a character a cliff clavin type of character that we <laughs> that we know right <laughs> but but in this mole body star mole body so I don't know. Yeah, I feel yeah. like it could something could have been played around there. <laughs> do, do you feel like it, for you that, uh, you know, we were talking about wanting to see the fantastic, but needing it to be new. Did you feel like, you know, after Ewoks, after like the Lerman, the little kind of raccoonish Kid dudes takers, in Clone Wars, sirens, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. do you feel like they weren't new or surprising enough? And so they, they didn't break through. Yeah. They weren't weird enough. Mm-hmm. They weren't weird. I think it could go even weirder. I mm. mean, my gauge of weird is probably too weird, right? The average, you know, 
uh, person may not have liked it if it was too weird. It may not have been as believable. But it's yeah. Star Wars. You got space whales. Why not push it even more? If they were know. just like a giant eyeball with duck feet in a top hat, you'd be like, great, <laughs> weird enough. Sold. <laughs> Green light those characters. Scrooge, Scrooge McEyeball Duck. <laughs> there we go. Let's start the campaign. Hashtag oh wherever. Gosh. Hashtag still work on the internet. No. Scrooge McEyeball. <sighs> All right, this has been a longer episode, as I thought we knew it would be. A lot of pulp elements, a lot of big ideas. But we're going to wrap up uh, with this question. Uh, Ken, for you, any other favorite uh, pulpy moment, line, or idea? We've, we've talked about big picture things, so I guess maybe is there any specific thing I've skipped or a, like a little moment you like? Uh, you know, I'll tell you what. This is, this is uh, it was a, an indicator of what was to come in this series uh, when Ryder Azadi said, Several years ago, when talking about the Battle of Lothal, that's just reminding you it's 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 adventure, it's pulp, it's it's sci-fi, it's 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 about the lessons and what's there. It's about what we're going to learn from the story, not the details. And uh, I don't know if that's one hundred percent pulp, but that was a good indicator of things to come for me, and uh, I enjoyed that. Yeah, moment. Jennifer, how about you? Any any other favorite uh, pulpy moment line idea? I- uh, I liked the 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 bones 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 mm. bones mm. of the purgle. <laughs> yeah. I thought mm-hmm. that was visually really cool. Um, yeah, that was a great addition. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I meant to talk about that more when we were talking about the purgles. That that is mm-hmm. one of my favorite elements. That you know, this is their natural migration path. This is where they pass away. This is mm-hmm. uh, their graveyard. Yeah. It's just it, it it's so Star Wars of the the light and the dark and the natural. You know everything. Everything returns uh, to where it came, including these these Purgle bones. Is absolutely yeah. great. Yeah. Um, Night Sister line. I wanted to shout out because it's been one of my my favorites. Uh, is when Sabine is first encountering them, and it doesn't feel like she's really. Uh, <laughs> I mean, she's been on Dathomir, uh, but uh, she's freaked out uh, to see them. But when the Night Sister looks at her and says, "It reeks of Jedi." <laughs> such a great less is more line of like to just to say it Uh and to know that these great mothers are like, we're aware of Jedi. We, we hate those nasty Jedi. (laughs) We're not even using in, you know, uh, he, she, they pronoun it's it, Mm -hmm. uh, it Mm -hmm. reeks of Jedi. And then Sabine has a pretty great, like, are they talking about me? Mm -hmm. Uh, so I, I love it because it's like super creepy um, super pulpy way for witches to talk, but then also in a way it's kind of like, oh, maybe Sabine's this. This is a vote of confidence in Sabine. Yeah, yeah. if Sabine's feeling like I'm not really a Jedi, like are they yeah. sensing force power? Are they sensing her resolve to do the right thing no matter what? And I hate it. Yeah. It's like it, it seems like you know one of those great things. Somebody insults wants to insult you, and you're like, actually, actually, that's a compliment. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for telling me I reek of Jedi. I appreciate that. <laughs> Love it. That's funny. Yeah. So that's our big look at the pulpy side of Star Wars. Ken, you want to take us home? I do. Thanks for listening and watching the show. We're on Twitter and threads at Force Center Pod. We're on Instagram as well. Facebook page is Force Center Podcast. You can uh, listen to us on ACAST, iHeartRadio, uh, Apple Podcasts. Just search, you'll find us. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube. We're very close to our goal of 7,500 subscribers as we grow the channel there. Merch available at tpublic.com slash user slash Force Center. And you can support us directly at patreon.com slash Force Center. Follow me at Cadnaps. Go to my website, KenNapsock.com, to link to things like music, uh, books, uh, comedy, and more. Jen, where can they find you or email you nice pictures of turtle folk? 
<laughs> you can follow me to the dark side, which is what I've been representing today on <laughs> Instagram, YouTube at Jennifer Landa or TikTok at Jennifer Landa 1138. Lovely. Joseph, wonderful discussion on one of your favorite aspects of Star Wars. I know. Where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me on all the social media, pretty much. Uh, at Joseph Scrimshaw is my handle everywhere. Uh, I am spending a little bit more time on TikTok, uh, trying to put some videos back up there. If you're interested in any of the other things I'm doing, uh, filmmaking, upcoming uh, film festivals, old comedy albums, you can find all the information at my website, josephscrimshaw.com. There you go. We'll see you next time here on Forcing. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.